You guys want to jump in? Huh? You guys want to jump in? To this? Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Guys, we are here. Episode. Uh, this is episode eight of Music and Waste, the the show where we talk about being great in at least for us immediately uh, being opera singers and having anything to do with your what do you call it your personal fitness quest, personal <laughs> fitness journey. Journey. Um, yeah, so I guess a, that's a good word. We have Laura yeah. Paisa here today with us and uh, and Stephen Harris. So Lisette, we should. I guess, where do we start on your journey? Like, should we start in Louisiana? Should we start, like, where where on the timeline should we start? Tell us, uh, catch us up to speed. Well, um, you know, it's really great that we're calling it a journey because for me, it was very much, if we were to start at the beginning, we'd be starting in a very negative place, uh, to tell the truth. Uh, growing up, I had a real aversion to exercise, physical activity, PE class. All of those things were nothing but negativity for me because they were a source of embarrassment. They were a source of feeling um, kind of isolated and not really included. It was really hard for me growing up. Uh, and I, not so much because I was obese and overweight because I was a little, but just because I just didn't feel like I was any good at sports. Um, and I felt like the girls and stuff, it was just tough. It's, it can be a really, um, bullying kind of atmosphere. It's an atmosphere that can breed bullying. Strangely, it's also an atmosphere that breeds camaraderie and breeds friendships. And now I'm on the other side of that and I'm sports for me have completely changed, but early on in my life, it was really bad. And, um, you know, basically that's the reason why I started, why we started running because I mean, I, I was, you know, developing my voice and focusing so much on music. I mean, as you guys know, when you, when you train to be a singer or musician, you have to devote every waking hour to your craft. And I kind of put exercise because it was always not really a part of my life. I never addressed it. And so I just got heavier and heavier and heavier. I was living in Louisiana, eating Louisiana food, eating cheap college food. I mean, I fell into the trap that so many people do. Uh, and I had people telling me, you know, well-intentioned people telling me that my weight was getting out of hand and da, da, da. And I took it very personally and I never addressed it. And then when I finished college and I won the Met competition, they let me into the Lindemann program, but they also told me, hey, your weight's a problem. I mean, it was like, it kept coming up. Um, And by that point, I was 21. I moved to New York. I was joining the Lindemann program. You know, I felt like, you know, I'm being handed this, this golden opportunity and I need to address this. If it's that much of a problem, I need to address it. So it always started with, it was never because I wanted to have fun. It was never because I wanted to do something, you know, joyful or join a team or anything. It was always negativity. And by the time I started doing it, it was hard. I mean, I'm not going to say that that was easy getting up in the morning and forcing myself to go to the gym and stuff. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I was very, by that point, I was ready to just do it. Just yeah. do it. Almost Make people like fueled, happy. Fueled by like a sort of, I don't know spite or like wanting to prove the chip on the shoulder partially yeah yeah because i didn't want to um one thing i've always i've always been very motivated for my work and for my music and for my voice and my craft i've always been motivated for that i just had to apply that motivation to something that was going to somehow contribute so i had to like trick myself in my mind to thinking this is going to help me get what i want which is to become a singer right 
professionally and I don't, I'm here. These people are not paying me to sit around on my ass and eat cheeseburgers. And so that's, I'm done. Like that was it. That was the end of it. And yeah, it started out like, Oh, as you said, just kind of a sense of spite. But since I got started and so I just started going to the gym that summer. And once I started going to the gym, Every day, early in the morning, I was like making myself just go. Even if I went for ten minutes, I went every day that I could. That's go. like that's half the battle is like is getting out of bed <laughs> and trying to yeah. decide like okay, I'm gonna go. And then once you go, it's you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Once you once you go, it is it is much easier. You're right, getting started. But I didn't know what to do. That was the thing. I never learned how to work out. Mm-hmm. I didn't read books. I didn't follow any kind of, you know, instruction forums or anything. If anything, all that stuff made me feel uncomfortable and me feel worse yeah. because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. So I got there and I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know what? I'm going to follow around a girl. And so I picked a girl that I followed around and I just did whatever she did. Whatever machine she climbed on, I got on the machine too and I did what I could. Did you tell her that or were, or were you just like kind of like stalking her behind the gym? I was stalking her behind the gym. I was, I was her, little, her little fat shadow. And <laughs> <laughs> and she and I can say that because I'm a former fatty. Hey, it's yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's objective. Yeah. <laughs> she, I mean, and she was she never even noticed. I mean, I kept my distance, but I just kind of followed her example, you know. Um, and I and I did that for every time, you know. I would always pick somebody, but I just do remember this one, this one girl in particular that I saw there all the time. Eventually, I was, and I didn't speak to anyone. I was extremely. Um, you know, cause it, PE made me feel isolated. So yeah. I didn't talk to anyone and yeah. I didn't say hi or, I mean, I said hi when I joined, but I was so embarrassed oh. and ashamed. Yeah. I remember that. You like know? it's the, it's like locker room, like the locker room. And at least like for me, I'm thinking of that as like middle school era. That was just, it, it could not have been a deeper circle of hell for me. Yeah. The middle school gym locker room. And even yeah. like, and figuring out like what I, what I call gym fluency is just like, you know, you walk into a gym and you're like, now what? What do I do? Now what? Yeah. No so, idea. And there's trainers walking around and everything, but they're intimidating. I mean, they're right. strong and buff and tight and fit. And what the hell are you, you going to say, excuse me, and be embarrassed and be like, can you show me how to do this? I admit I was too embarrassed. Now, looking back, I wish I hadn't been so damn embarrassed. I wish I would have said, excuse me, can you please help me with this? This is my first time. You know, I mean, but I didn't want to, I wasn't there yet. So what would you have, if you had, uh, if you could go back and do that, like what, what would that Lizette have asked? Dallas, that would have gone in there and said to the trainer or somebody that was with, you know, that worked at the gym, I would have said, Hey, you know, my first time here, I'm a newbie. Can you help me? Is there, you know, what, what do you think I should try? I just want to lose a few pounds. You know, I I don't really have any fitness level. I would have said that it would prevent presented myself in vulnerability Mm -hmm. and asked for help. Or I would have read something, looked up something, figured out an idea before I got there. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I mean, I kind of felt, I mean, I had been to gyms, failed attempts at going to the gym before. I mean, like I can count on one hand how many times in my entire life. And it was always a disaster because I just did not feel like I belonged there. But this time there was something at stake. And the thing is, it's, that's why it's very hard to preach, I always feel like, to preach to people, hey, you need to lose weight, you need to get your health under control. Because until there's something at stake, it's extremely difficult. You can't just go just so you can look better. Yeah. It's not enough of a motivation. If you're that far gone, you, the motivation has to be life and death. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, it becomes life and death, doesn't it? You know, They have diabetes, or they have a heart problem, or they have cholesterol, or whatever. And so it's 
I finally had that motivation, that kick in the ass that I really needed. That yeah. wasn't just people bullying me and saying, hey, you're fat, it's you need like, to lose weight. I'm either going to be a great singer or I could be a really good singer. I could, you know, I could, like, your career is like, I, I, were you looking at it like, okay, if the people at the very top are telling me, you got to do this one thing, do you want to leave anything on the table in the journey of your life and your career? Exactly. Well, and I had already had the experience of people telling me no, because I was fat. And that really got, I was at the Met program and I did a couple of little auditions and the feedback I would get was, no, you're fat. You're good, but you're fat. Or I would get the, the I would get, I did an audition once for an opera. Um, I was auditioning for a Don Giovanni in a small company, a regional company. And I was auditioning for the role of Zerlina, which would have been the role I was appropriate for. And I sang the aria and everything and did a really nice job. And I wasn't given the job. And later I found out it was because the director wanted a skinny, beautiful cast. And he didn't want fat people in the cast. And so I was like, you know what? I didn't come here and uproot myself mm-hmm. and bust my ass and live in a basement in Queens so that I could be told, no, you're too fat for these jobs and lose jobs. I don't have time for that. Like that is not going to happen. I, I, this is what I've invested in is what I've gone to school for. I can't, if I've come this far, the only difference between me having a job and me not having a job is the way that I look or my health, my overall health in general. And then there was aside from my career, I have to say, I did go to doctors that told me you need to lose weight. It's a problem for you. Just for my age, it's just a problem. I had fatty liver. I had issues with my my menstrual cycle. I had, you know, I have a family history of diabetes. I have a family history of um, high cholesterol. I didn't want to inherit. I was already inheriting a host of problems just based on my my history, you know, and what my tendencies were going to be. And so I didn't, I was like, you know what? (laughs) It all just kind of coupled together at the same time. And it was just the ripe, the right and the ripe moment for me to just be like, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. And, and that was it. That was really, that's all it took. After since then, I have never gone back. Mm. Yeah. It's like all the, all the resistance is removed yep. for you around that. How yeah. did you, how did you transition from going to the gym to becoming a runner? Oh, oh, that, that was that. Well, I was a gym person because I lived in New York in a right. solid for a solid amount of time. So going to the gym was convenient. Running was the last thing I ever thought that I would find myself doing, Caroline, yeah. to be honest, because I was the worst runner in PE, the last to finish the mile. Baton Rouge, we, they make you run on this track and it's a yeah. hundred degrees outside. So running for me is like, as he said, seventh layer of hell or whatever, essentially like the worst thing. So I never would have become a runner like that. I don't even know. How, I think it happened because we sucked at it. We sucked. Stephen yeah. and I sucked. At running we, or at, at going to the gym? At running. Running. Like wow. we got to a point where we started traveling. So my husband, Stephen, is here with me. And we got to a point okay, where. Thank you for answering I, that. I, I wanted to be like, how are you two connected? I, <laughs> they have a lovely rapport. <laughs> you know. There's this guy here. <laughs> yeah. I am always uh teller to, to Lissette's pen. Yes, exactly. We're kind of, I'm the one that does all the talking, and then he kind of sits there and smiles and looks really cute and steals the whole show. But uh, no, he, Stephen and I. So we're married, and we both were kind of going to the gym. You know, um, we both had lost weight already. We've been through a good amount of weight loss because I did lose a lot of weight by just going to the gym, and I was already in a very good place, fitness wise, for my career. But um, we went to Ravinia. And we were there for a good amount of time. And we were like, gee, we haven't been to the gym in like three weeks. 
that's not good. Like, how are we going to manage this? I mean, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? And like next month I've got to go to like Wales for four months. Like, what are we going to do? And so we started like kind of just logistically going, Hmm, you know, this is going to be a problem because you can't always get an easy gym membership everywhere you go. Some places you can, but honestly not everywhere. Um, and so we were like, we need to find something we can do outside. Like, we need, should we cycle? I don't know, can't really cycle. We can travel with a bike. Well, should we walk everywhere? Well, we already walk everywhere, but it's not really enough. Like, okay. your heart rate. Yeah. Right. So should we try fucking running? Sorry, excuse me. I say curse. <laughs> they, they, they happen. <laughs> okay. Should we try running? I, I suck at running. Do you suck at running? Yes. Yeah. He sucks at running. So, okay, let's let's try that since we both suck at it. Like, it was literally like. We're terrible. Let's do it. Yeah. Running sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Now we love it, but back then it was like horrible. In life, you always have to pick the most difficult things to attack. Yeah. And if you're spending too much of your time uh, not not being afraid of something that that you're afraid or being afraid, you can't always do that. So you have to just attack something. And, and that was the worst thing for both of us. So we had to attack it head on. And fortunately we did it in the middle of the summer and it was a hundred degrees outside and, and we ran less than a mile and we were both dying. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had a lot of gym experience, you know, I worked my life through, you know, starting strength and all kinds of yeah, gym kind of things. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, our crypto, but the thing is you have to, yeah. So that's exactly it. You know, if you, if you're too afraid, you have to, just go for it and right. do it. It's like a and, with their high notes. You know. <laughs> but I was, you know, you sit on the gym and you do like a mile of running kind of after you do your gym workout and that's fine, you know, but you know, how are you going to make that go for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30, yeah. 40 minutes, you know, yeah. of running enough time to really get, get the blood get moving. The benefit. You know? And it's really yeah. like you versus you. It's like, wow. Like if, if I can't make it, it's not because this weight is too heavy. It's like my body is like giving up on me. Am I going to like be able to, I love running. And that's not true. I don't love running. But what I really enjoy about running is like is the ability, the opportunity to be like, all right, is this your body telling you to quit or is this your mind telling you to quit? Like you can just can yeah. you push forward for one more lap, you know, for to that tree over there. Can you make it? Exactly. So much of it is mental. And you know, I didn't really discover that until I was already way into it. And that's when it changed my whole perspective on fitness and health and exercise. When it used to be this hell, it took running for me to find the heaven about it and the total bliss point to the the reason that people like when they talk about exercise they're like you don't understand it's so amazing people who talk about this this like like look of joy yeah you're like and when you're on the other side of that little fence you could never possibly see it that way it's like you're still inside the cave and people are telling you what's outside the cave until literally step outside of that cave and then you see it then you get it and then you know why people get addicted and then you know why people try to spread the gospel of exercise and fitness and blah blah so but it took that it took a while <laughs> unfortunately for running it does take time it does. i mean you have, to, build you have to unlock all the doors the 10 minute door the 20 minute door the 40 50 minute yes. hour door half marathon door yes you know before you can look back all through all the doors that you've unlocked and realize that wow what just happened like how did how was i running for an hour and i didn't even like yes i feel great and i feel you know i don't feel like i want to die who is this person yeah it's not me i can count on one hand the number of times i've run for an hour (laughs) i think all of them were at uh seagull music colony when i didn't have a gym as well oh there you go um so then okay so actually question so since i mean obviously like you know you guys travel a lot what's the best place for running in the whole world at least that you travel to 
Oh, there's lots of there's beautiful lots. cities. Yeah. Like we're, I have my favorites. Yeah, we were actually talking about this. We do it all the time. We talk we about this all, all the time. time. <laughs> In the United States, we've narrowed it down to Washington, D.C. And New York. New York, San Francisco. That's pretty much it. That's those are the best I, for like cities in themselves. Now, of course, there's nice places that are not as big as cities, but for like major cities, yeah, those yeah. are the. Oh wait, breaking up a little bit. Hold on, I'm vamping while you guys are frozen. It's a lovely freeze. Okay, we, we're good. Oh, sorry, we're no, frozen. No, you're good. You're good. Oh, we're good. Um, did, you, did you get all that? Uh, let me uh, redo that. Last no. thing that I heard was. Some, what, something um, about New York, D.C., major cities. Yeah. And okay. San Fran. New uh, York, D.C., and San Francisco. That's Carolina. For major so. cities, they're the best. Yeah. For running or just for, for running? For running. For running. For because, running. You know, in, in San Francisco, you have Golden Gate Park, which is a good seven-mile uh, loop. You get to see the yeah. bay. You get to see, you know, the... I don't gardens think you can actually... And the, the gardens and the trees. And there's little gorgeous. hills. You know, um, awesome. New York has the beautiful central park i mean that that central park loop is amazing and hilly so you can actually really train on that train. and yeah. if you if you're bored with that you can actually run up and down the uh, up and down the river and yeah. it is amazing and you can go as long as you want That's if right. you're in brooklyn you can go to prospect park we yeah. ran the Mar prospect park marathon there amazing you know it's a lot of loops but it's beautiful. a lot of loops and um, um in washington dc washington dc has all the monuments they're all connected by by national parks so you can literally run the whole city, and you'll never stop, and you'll never have to barely cross a road. Yeah. I mean, it's DC amazing. amazing. So, they have Rock Creek Park, like every time I drive, Rock yeah. Creek, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like there's, there's all these people oh. running, and I'm like, oh, you yeah. look like you're having so much fun. But <laughs> I just haven't, like, I for myself, I like haven't quite been able to br break into running. I just, I love, I love lifting too much at the at the point right now. We well, I think lifting. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was saying we we used to both run a, a fair amount, like when we started dating. Carolina was really yeah. into running. What were you saying about lifting? Well, I was going to say, I just think it's a different, it, you get a totally different benefit mm -hmm. yeah. from, from weights and strength. And I have a lot of respect for weights yeah. and strength. I mean, whenever we're in a place where we have access to a gym, we, oh, we, we go do. and we, we weight do. train because as much as I adore and love running, it doesn't have the same kind of benefit toning wise as, as weightlifting does. Yeah. So I, I totally wish that we could combine it in a way that we could do it all the time. There's yeah. always access. So, you know, I envy you in a way because I, I mean, I know you get a lot more bang for your buck at the end of the it's day. Just, to me, I think like to me, the, the itch that I scratch lifting heavy sounds like the itch that you scratch getting a long, hard run in. So yeah. speaking of, of, I guess, of strength or fitness and of course, like how it, you know, it all relates back to singing for you, how do you find that like having increased like runner strength and endurance and just like being able to tap into all of that? all parts of that, both physically and mentally, how does that impact your singing? Tremendously. I mean, only positively. Yeah. I mean, in the mornings, you know, before performance, I like to go for a short run just to get my body awake. I find it's a wonderful vocal warm up because it clears all the crap out of your lungs and it gets you in a place that you feel good about yourself. It gets you breathing, it gets you warm, you know, it kind of gets the kinks out. I mean, just for that, there's mm -hmm. that. And then there's the fact that, you know, running, teaches you mental endurance and you need that to sing opera i mean opera is not you go out there and sing two arias and you're done i mean there are a few roles that are like that but the the roles that i've been singing at least recently have required much longer stamina and directors we're in the age where directors want more and more and more from their singers who are 
They don't want you to just stand there and sing pretty anymore. They want you moving around. They want you on stage when your character's not singing. They want you involved and responding when the when another character's singing. Sometimes you're not even written into the scene, but you're there. So I, I've had to do operas where I've been on stage the entire time. Literally and that's from the first a long, note to the last. From the first note to the last. And that is a long stretch. It's no rest, no There's rest, vocal rest, very no body little, rest. No, no body no. rest. I mean, that you cannot in any way prepare for that better than by becoming a person who exercises regularly because as much as you know as you sing in your coachings and stuff even if you sing four hours a day or if you sing all through rehearsals it's physicalizing the drama that takes the energy out of you more than the singing so if you're used to exertion you know, for an hour at a time or two, three hours or longer, you're used to that exertion. Your body's going to be way more chill about it when you're actually being paid to step, step out on stage and do it and deliver that. And that's something that I am just like, you know, and then my heart rate is lower. Mm-hmm. My breath is more in line. My alignment, my body's, um, my physical, um, just my alignment in general so that my posture is better. You know, my support is more strong because I understand my body. I listen to my body. I know it talks to me, <laughs> you know, um, I'm very in touch. Yeah. And also the fact that, you know, I just don't get winded. I don't get winded. Like I'll climb upstairs, which you all know, there's not a production where a soprano doesn't have to climb up and down the stairs. I climb up and down stairs and I can sing at the top of the stairs. I climb up two flights of stairs. I sing at the top of the, you know, and, and, and it's great because then director's, are happy with the fact that a, that uh, when they have a fit person to work with right. in rehearsals, they don't have to make as many concessions. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they have a fit person, so they don't make as many concessions. So they're if like, I, oh, look at this new toy. What <laughs> yeah, else can it do? A little bit. A hey, little bit. So what would I have to be kind of, you know. Can we have you running just sprints? Just I know it's the mezzo's aria, but you know, just like you running wind sprints, like in the back. Let's have that. That'd be good. Almost, you know. Actually, when you did Hansel and Gretel at the Metropolitan Opera, that's yeah. a huge stage, and 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 she had to physicalize the part a lot. And yes. so she was running I back and forth. I did literally have to run back and forth. running back from one side of the stage yes, to the I other, did. back and forth, back and forth for the entire opera. Yes, <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I mean, the roles that the character, if I didn't have to play, and that's why they told me to lose weight in the first place, the characters that I play, are a certain physical energy, require a certain physical energy on stage because they're young, because they're in love, because they're sometimes, you know, children, because they're, um, if I've had to play a maid, the maid has to do all the running around, not the queen lady, not the countess, you know what I'm saying? So you just have to have a different body type in order for that to be manageable and believable. And it has nothing to do with beauty or standards of beauty, I don't think. I mean, it's not, of course, it's always nice if you can be the complete package as best as you can be. But I don't think of myself as a beauty queen. I think of myself as a person who is agile and fit and confident on stage because I exercise the, and uh, it helps me sing better. It's like, a, for a, you are a really great example of, uh, at least as we're talking about it, of form following the function. Like mm-hmm. everything about yeah. all of this has, it's, basically come to get let's like converged to help you do your roles which have their own unique i would say challenges and demands but it's going to be but it's it's the end result is going to be different than like you said somebody who is uh playing a countess or queen frequently you know their demands are different so their Their demands are results are going to be different that's very true i mean you're not going to find a guy who looks like, like an example of, of current singer. So like another current singer that I can think of off the top of my hood who's extremely fit, who has a wonderful career is Ryan McKinney. Really wonderful Big bass baritone. Yeah. 
Ryan McKinney would be cast to sing Don Giovanni before he would ever be cast to sing Falstaff. Even though maybe, vocally, because he sings Wagner, there's no reason why perhaps maybe one day he may not want to sing Falstaff. But do you think that he'd be cast to sing Falstaff? No. Why? Because of the way he looks. Fine. If he doesn't want to ever sing Falstaff, fine. But he always, but then it's the opposite. If a guy looks like Falstaff, is he going to get cast to sing Don Giovanni? Is he going to get, and it's, so it's, because the reason I bring up a guy is because a lot of people think that this only applies to women. It does not only apply to women. It totally applies to men as well. I don't think it's as prominently um, obvious. Right. Yeah, it's not as talked about as much when it comes to male singers, but I think for basses and bar- for bass baritones and baritones in general in particular, it's a big deal because there are a lot more of them. You know, just like with sopranos, there are a lot more sopranos than there are, you know, contraltos, you know, or even mezzos in general. And I feel like, so for us, it just the competition wise is a lot more. So if we have that to add to our package. It's also is- part of the, part of the reason, part of the reason the higher soprano fock is considered a more agile fock is because of the demand. So if there are X amount of singers that look a certain way in that fock, of course you can you have the privilege of saying this fock generally tends towards this way, but if those singers don't exist, let's say in Wagnerian singing, it's it's much more unusual to have someone that's more agile. There's you don't have or casting directors and people in charge don't have as much of a right to say this is a more typically agile fock. So you kind of true. you kind of that's very true. Yeah, I kind of. A, you were in just a super competitive fuck at the time. As, right. As well. well, and that's, and that's actually the, the thing uh, we've done some research on this and, you know, we looked at the top 50 operas and we decided, you know, how many characters are being cast to sing these operas. Right. And more often than not, there's one or two females and six males. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look at who's entering uh, school for singing, it's the opposite. There's right. like three times as many women as men. Yeah. And Apple most cats. of those women are sopranos. Almost right. all of them are, exactly. are uh, not even a lyric, almost like a lyric coloratura or a computer coloratura soprano. Right. So um, it's a, such an extremely competitive fog right. that you have to find your advantages where you have That's them. That's right. Because a, a director can say, you know, most people really can't tell the difference between people singing. I mean, on like... Sometimes they can. It's a damn shame. You know, and so... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so what are they looking at? They're looking at features. They're yeah, looking at right. people. And if you go back to the, you, you can bring a little bit of Broadway into this, and, and that's almost how everything is cast. Broadway. Yeah. So that's right. you know you have yeah, to find actors, your find your advantages and, and lessen your disadvantages. Right. And right. so if you have a weakness, you must work on it. And yeah. knowing strength and, and starting strength and people like you know uh, Athleen X and other YouTubers mm-hmm. and stuff are such, such a great. I, I, uh, people to look at it, look up to, you know, you're always trying to find where those little weaknesses are and fill them, fix them, fix them and right. do it. So, right. you know, don't leave anything out on the table. If yeah, you're, if you be, have this kind of, yeah, if you want to have this kind of career, you know, you need to give it everything and don't leave anything right. back, you That's know? Right. And if you, if you see a weakness and you're being told something, if it's a vocal issue you're having or, That's a, right. or a, or a, a physical issue or whatever, address fig- it, address it. Figure it out. Don't ignore you know? it. Don't ignore it. It'll keep coming up. It'll so, keep coming up, and, and it could it could cost you literal money and jobs right. and work. That's and, right. And so at the short. end, hey, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. It's all excited. At the end of the day, you know, you have to pay your bills. That's right. And this is what this is all about. I mean, it's a career. It's That's a job. Right. It's a right. business. So. No, go ahead. Hang on, I'm getting a charger. Michael's in the. We'll cut this out. But yeah, yeah, there's there's an element of unshakability to your like you're you're basically establishing no 
objective, definitive reason to not be cast and not be used. Because if you show up to rehearsal and you're prepared and you're a good singer, the rest, you're also controlling the other factors that anyone can complain about. That's so right. So it's, it's, it's making yourself, it's making yourself basically an asset to these companies so that That's every right. single person is pleased. Audiences, absolutely. casting, conductor, and you're just taking care of casting yeah. and director, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's wise. So this is a good, a good question for Timor Peza. Um, <clears throat> what do you guys, how, how is it, you love to max out the hand that you're dealt, right? in terms of what can I do for viability? And as I like to think about it, like how can I make sure that this company has no choice but to hire me? Right. Like that's my dream. <laughs> like that's how I like, that's I, that's how I'm trying to like make myself. It's just like, okay, when I work on my weaknesses, I'm like, what, do, what is the thing I got to do? That's just leaves that's people right. with no choice. That's right. How have you handled, um, not being, you know, rejection setback, even as you like continue to have, uh, success! Congratulations, by the way, on your on your recent on the recent award. That's so awesome. Glad to see you get that. Um, yeah, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. How for you? How you know? How did you deal with that? Even as you were having success, you know, through running and like and seeing all of this positive momentum in your career, I'm sure that with all that momentum, there were still rejections that you know stung. How did you deal with that? I mean, look it. As you were saying, and you're absolutely right, you have to address everything that you can do to make companies want to hire you to where they have no excuse not to hire you. But despite all your efforts that you do, there will still be reasons why you won't be hired by companies, by intendants, for whatever, and and nine times out of ten, they're completely beyond your control. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is something that was a very hard lesson that I did have to learn. And when I give master classes, when I give lectures to young artists, I always tell them this: no matter how much you work your ass off to sing well and look great and be nice and do every and speak the languages and learn your music and be a great musician all of that combined still people will find reasons to reject you there may not be reasons that are fair they may not be reasons that are just they won't be they could just say sorry we prefer x soprano or y or we the conductor has worked with her before the conductor wants to work with her again no offense to you you just haven't built the opportunity because you haven't made the networking or sorry we prefer soprano xy because they have an album and we want to promote their album and this is something blah 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 we prefer so and so because they have a manager that we prefer working with sorry we're not so fond of your managers and you'll never find these things out that's these are things that you find out later 10 years later you know (laughs) Never even know, or, or sorry, the director does not want a um, a person who, with dark hair. The director wants a person with blonde hair. The director, I mean, so it doesn't. At the end of the day, as much as you try to take on yourself, the responsibility of your own career, a lot of it you won't be able to control, and that's a really hard lesson. So yes, I have had to deal with people saying, you know, sorry, they they just don't like your voice. They just don't like your voice. What? Right. No, or they don't. You're not. Your voice isn't big enough. Or you know, Ooh, they don't. I love that one. It's not really a good role for you. We feel like you know, or we you know, they want somebody a little more well known. We're just or they not want casting somebody, your roles. We're right just now. not casting that kind of opera. Those operas right now. Or sorry, those have been filled for years in advance by with other singers. Or we want to promote X and Y instead. The, 
Of course. And what then what the hell are you supposed to do? I mean, you feel sorry for yourself. All you can do is say, okay, so what can, what, in, what proactive choice can I make? So the only proactive choices I made when I was feeling like things weren't going as well as I wanted was I changed managers. Um, because I did find that I got to a certain point where my calendar was not full. And I had meeting after meeting after meeting with this, with my manager at the time who had done wonderfully for me for a little while. But I was just like, look, you know, this isn't progressing the way I want. How do I get to the next level? Right. And it's as much as he tried to make me feel like it was something that was beyond control, uh, that there was nothing he could do about it more. Uh, he tried to put some, he tried to make me be a little more proactive in my own PR. So he said, you know, for example, you, you need to invest more into your PR persona. This was a few years ago before the big social media thing kind of really got big. Uh, because nowadays every singer has a social media presence or at least a lot of them do. But before then I didn't really have a strong social media presence, but he's like, no, you need more. You need to have like a real, a firm PR firm behind you. Okay. So I look into a PR firm. They're an expense. Oh yeah. Guys. <laughs> and Stephen and I actually have been already kind of working on, you know, Stephen and made my website. I'm very lucky that I have Stephen. Not a lot of singers have a Stephen to help them who's into tech and understands social media and marketing and, uh, you know, search engine optimization, all these wonderful things that I knew nothing about. Stephen does. Okay. So let's say I didn't have Stephen. So I go to this PR firm. Hello, excuse me. What do you do and how much do you charge? Oh, well, we basically do social media. You know, we get you interviews. We can get you promotion, da, 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 da. But um, basically, ma'am, you're already kind of doing that. I mean, you and your husband are kind of already doing that. We don't really do a whole lot more than that. The guy said, you know, it's a common misconception that PR firms get people jobs. And I was like, interesting, because that's what I was made to believe. <laughs> PR firms get people jobs. Eh, it's not really quite like that. But we charge a good amount. And he's like, and not that I don't want to take your money. Yeah. It's literally what he tells me. Not that I don't want to take your money. But, you know, it's a good, you know, three to $5,000 per month to essentially right, do just like on what you're doing. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, um, yeah, no. So I'm not going to do that. And we didn't do that. So Stephen and I had a big, hard sit down and said, okay, they want more PR we're going to give them more PR, whatever the heck that even means, because to this day, I don't under really understand it. All I understand it is promotion of your own qualities in some kind of way that other pe- many people have access to you. Ebasta. That's the, all I know about it. It's all I understand about it. Do I need to pay someone really to put my picture on magazines? Do I need to pay someone to get me interviews for things that I'm doing for successes that I'm legitimately having by my performances? I didn't understand that concept. So when my manager and I had a follow-up meeting, I said, look, I really appreciate that you think I have three to $5,000 extra a month to spend on this, which I do not. Um, but I don't understand how this is supposed to help me fill my calendar because I'm already giving good performances. I'm getting good reviews. I'm doing my social media thing. What more am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to pay to play? And we had a bit of a headbutt, um, the two of us. And I, I took some time to like regroup. I, Steven and I went on a hiking vacation because- Where'd you go? We went to the Southwest. We went to Utah. We started in Colorado. Sorry, hey, in Colorado. that's my land. Oh. We started in Denver and drove all the way to San Diego. To, no, to Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Sorry. Did we make it to San Diego? No, no. not on that trip. Okay. But we basically <laughs> hiked every national park Along the <laughs> in <way>. between <laughs> as much as we could for two weeks. It was, And I needed it because I was falling apart. I felt like 
I had done everything in my career, anything, everything possible to help my career. I lost the weight they wanted me to lose. I spoke the languages they wanted me to speak. I, my technique was as good as it was going to be at that time. And there was still a problem. And I didn't understand what it was. And it was like, well, you'd have to pay now. Time to pay. No, I'm not paying anymore. I have paid enough. I have given enough. And I'm going to figure out another way to do this. So we had our little, our little vacation. We meditated and we went back and I'm firing this manager and I'm going to find someone else because there's obviously a disconnect here about what I'm supposed to be doing Um, because there's no way that I should have to pay to play. This is not what I thought opera was. I had a big awakening about what opera was, um, Mm. at least the business. Um, And I left him and I went to the person who had been working with me in Italy and he took over, his name is Clemente, Saverio Clemente, and he took over my European, entire European market. When that happened, so many doors opened for me. Things that I found out that for reasons I had been rejected in the past, I found out had nothing to do with me. Um, And this manager, because he's in Europe and based in Europe, was able to have much more access to theaters in Europe, have much more access to having meetings with intendants in Europe, had relationships with intendants and casting directors in Europe that my manager that I had before him, my American manager, did not have. And so I didn't know that as an American, if you want to have a good footing in Europe, you need to have someone on the ground in Europe. Nobody ever told me that. And I felt like, you know, why didn't anyone just say, hey, this is how it works. You know, it's, it's personal relationships. It's, that's why so-and-so gets hired and not you, because so-and-so has a personal relationship with, their, with the intendant or the director or the, ca- or the conductor. And those things aren't bad. Those things are wonderful. That's PR. That's true networking. That's PR that you don't pay for. That's PR that you build based on your personality, based on your charisma and your friendships and your kindness and the, your good work that you do. That was what I thought I, I should have done. I should have been doing. That's what I thought I was doing, but I wasn't doing it in Europe in the sense of on the ground right. enough. So to have someone here to actually do that and push for that changed everything for me. Right. And I was able to get auditions. I was able to get, you know, opportunities. I was able, he was able to invite people to come and see me in concerts and in performances that I was already giving because that's what it is. It's networking. You have to, not only do you have to sing well, people have to know you sing well. People have to hear you. People have to be present when you are performing. People have to read about you. People have to talk about you. That's what PR is. Right. And that's what I wasn't doing. So yes, essentially that changed my entire, entire career. I'm not, you know, the best decision I ever made. And I got a different manager in the United States um, also. So I, I felt like just so many more doors opened for me. Tremendously. Yeah. A lot of those initial doors open, you know, if you get it, maybe a different manager, different people representing you. However, you know, when you show up to a performance or, or a, a, a gig, we could say, you yeah. know, you'd still have to perform at your best, oh, yeah, your best level and bring everything else, all those other things that you've been yeah. working on yeah. there. You do still have to it's well, one thing you can't to, just show up and suck. I it's mean. one thing to get hired once or whatever, but it's, <laughs> it's another thing to get hired again and, and be, come back and build right. and build those internal relationships with people right. build a and, and build a really good reputation. That's you right. know, you can't just go in there and sing once and 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 be a horrible person or whatever, and, and yeah, then you won't get hired. Then again. you won't get hired. And this this is a career, not a job. And That's so right. the career needs you need to build these relationships. You need you need to become friends with people. You need to you know help people help. Help me you help make, you. You have to you make know? an impression. Because the other thing is, if you make a negative impression in one theater in Europe, anyway, you make a negative impression in 10 yeah. without realizing it. Do you know what I mean? If you go and you sing, you know, I mean, word gets around. The world is very small. 
That was something I talked about in my business video, you know, that the word gets around. If you do really, really well, word gets around about you. If you do badly, word also gets around about you. And it's not just about singing. It's about personality. It's about how you are to work with. So many things go into that. So, yeah. That's that's how I dealt with my rejection to answer your question. No, I mean, I would I would say that like if I could like dist- distill that down, I would I would say it's you know taking really trying to almost like reverse engineer where you you know where, figure out where you want to be and then figure out how to get there, and then you got decisive and you or rather you generated momentum for yourself through decisive action. Yes, that's, you I, have to. Yeah. All you can do in life, and I'm, it's one thing I've learned about anything about about anything you have to do something proactive because otherwise everything else really is beyond your control it's unfortunate how much of it is still beyond your control no matter how proactive you are but i mean the very thing that we do is out of our control like as so many times for me like right now at least like you know calling this whole thing a journey in my vocal journey uh i'm singing best i feel like i ever have but i still get the uh you're a little bit sharp. And so to me, I just, I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's like where I'm at right now. There's other stuff that I'm going to focus on besides that. But, yeah. you know, that's. I used to get that comment too. Yeah. Do you oh, know, really? I used to get it once in a while. Yeah, I would hear it once in a while. I'd be like, you know, you're sharp in this region of your passaggio. And I get it from like randomly different people, but people that were important. Right. It's one thing you're getting a comment from some idiots that don't, don't know anything. You do have to consider the source on who gives you commentary and feedback about your singing right. and take that very seriously because some people are really full of absolute BS. But for somebody, for random people to say, random important people to say, yeah, you have this intonation issue, da, 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 da. I, I had the exact same comment, Michael. And I was right. like, okay, recording myself from now on right. and I'm going to sing all of those tones flat for the rest of my life. And now I sing those tones flat in my head and they're in tune. That's so bizarre. But Sing yeah, it flat. Like, that's like, that's like it's the it's the that's the frustrating thing is you can't just be like oh sure just let me get you my A four forty. Yeah. I'm like ah and like and I want to control so much I want to be like don't you know like how good like this role has all of these demands that you can't even see in the like the five aria package that I bring in. What about you know it it and it's just like it's so frustrating how much it doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Yes. But then it's so like it's so refreshing to to meet people like you guys who like it's who uh, successfully overcome that. But I feel like you are really a gospel. You you preach the gospel of uh, breaking down the myths that we kind of get indoctrinated with on the way up. What are some mm-hmm. other I would like big uh, myths that you find that you were either like conditioned to believe on the way up uh, in, in this career or that when you talk to young singers today, you, you find them believing and you're like, what? Get that out of your head. Um, I always thought, well, there's a myth that exists for an, the first example that pops into my head is preparation, level of preparation. I always thought that you needed to show up to gigs completely ready to go and memorized. And I do. And I, and I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still. <laughs> That's the end of my sentence. That's all I have to say. I always thought that that was a basic, and I'm not trying to attack people because the thing is, I understand. I know when you get busy, it's very hard to make time to learn music. It's extremely difficult. And not everybody has a musical 
whippersnappery kind of, not everybody picks things up as quickly, especially if you've been singing for a long time, you've sung a lot of different roles and you keep adding new things, new things, new things. It's hard to learn new tricks. And I really honestly thought, but I really honestly thought that that was like basic level 101, unforgivable, you show up prepared. Um, that's not the case with everyone all the time. And sometimes you show up and you feel a bit confused because you're like, um, why am I working so hard? Why did I bust my ass so hard to drill this into my heart and soul so that I show up here and there are people who are beyond me career wise who are (laughs) a bit flippant about it. Yeah. Yeah, A bit flippant about it. Um, and the thing is, even though I see things like that once in a while, um, and they frustrate me, I'm not going to lie and say that I that uh, I mean, I try to be I try to be compassionate about it because, like I said, I know it's not easy. And there's going to come a time where I'm simply not going to have all the time in the world to learn stuff. Um, but no matter how much of that you see when you sing, and how many of your colleagues do that, don't fall into that trap. Don't let that be you, because you know what? At the end of the day, you have your integrity to stand by. And the fact that you showed up prepared, and the fact that you showed up on top of it and ready to go, and not making mistakes. Right you're just going to value yourself much higher there. You're going to be of more value to other people. And it also shows, you know, how to, you know, how to negotiate your time because you have to take control of your time. I, I prepare my roles in advance. I take time, I make time for the things that are important to me. There are other things I don't make time for. I don't make time for game of Thrones. I don't make time for, you know, 95 hours of Netflix binging. I don't make time. And I'm not trying to be little people that do that. But if that's what you're going to spend your time doing and then bragging about it on social media because everybody makes time for social media and then coming to work and you're less than prepared, yeah. don't be upset when you don't get a call to come back and sing again at this company or that company and then complain and then tell your other colleagues about it. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of thing that it's like you have to set the example because everyone is watching you. Even when you're starting out and you have a small part, especially when you have a small part. It's always worse the smaller oh the part, God. the more, the the more scrutiny you get the meaner they are to you. That's one thing that you, that's why you don't almost, you almost never see this with small people singing small roles because it's covering or covering. If you, and that's the other thing, if you go in someplace to cover, be prepared because you will be asked to sing in rehearsal at some point. Don't just think you're off the hook because you're a cover. You're not totally off book BS. You're going to have to probably sing at least a few days in rehearsal. If you're covering somebody of, of note, for example, or if you're covering someone that is extremely busy because they're going to, or if you're covering someone that's, you show up there, they're sick. Boom. First day you have to sing. So if you're a cover, be twice as prepared, you know, don't slack off at all. I remember when I was a cover God, I had to sing all the time for singers that weren't well or that weren't there or whatever all the time. And there've been times when I've been sick for an engagement and I've said, Hey, can the cover sing this rehearsal? I'm not well, I, I don't have the voice today or whatever. I'm, I'm not, I'm sick. And, and that happens to me too. So, I mean, covering, it's not undignified. It's actually, you learn so much covering yeah. and people hear you, people hear you. Everybody might comes, it might even the, be your audition. Yeah. You. Yeah, and you also get to, you just get to spend a lot of, you just spend more time in rehearsal than you would otherwise would. You get to watch more people do things like, that's oh, great. Yes. And you get and you get to watch, uh, you know, people who are a little bit ahead of you handle what could be some tricky waters. Like you get to watch them handle like learning or not learning that music, getting called out or watching, you know, that 
watching the the Brit, the boiling the tipping over point of like okay are we gonna address the elephant in the room you haven't learned this yet mm-hmm. and you know maybe the cover is gonna go on maybe yeah, that's oh sometimes that absolutely happens and it's frightening to be the one that's you know um dealing with it because i mean if you're the singer and you're not prepared and there's a cover there that's singing really well or whatever it's intimidating you know and you need to whatever lights a fire under your ass Mm -hmm. just why i say don't be that one that's not as prepared don't be the one that doesn't know the translations i was in a um when i sang my first and only traviata our director director not conductor our director made us all sit down and word for word read our libretto in english so That's translation, awesome. what does this Italian word mean? Word for word, not just our parts, but other people's parts. It was like I was in college. Here I was a professional. I was not, this was not a young artisty thing. This wasn't a summer program where we were all learning and having like this whole, you know, bonding student-like life experience together. No, this was six professionals in a room, some of whom had sung the roles many times. Okay, translation, Go. And I was like, oh, damn, thank God I did this. Because yeah. if I hadn't done this, I would be really embarrassed. And I thought, you know, it seems like annoying work. And it's a pain in the ass when you're doing it. And you go, God, you know, hours after hours after hour that I'm spending studying. But at some point, that is going to pay off for you. And that, when I was in those rehearsals and owning my freaking text, I felt so good about myself. I was just like, oh, yes, all the sacrifice is worth it. And these are the moments when people, people's respect for me goes through the roof because they go, wow, not only is this person singing well and looking the part and doing their thing, they know their music, they know their translation. And then when I sing the role on stage, all that work, the audience doesn't perceive it exactly but they perceive the inner life of the character yeah. that you build because you know what is being said. The text, you understand it, you deliver it, you communicate it in a way. It adds the subliminal next level to your performance right. that you think people don't get, but they do. They yeah. don't realize that you're getting it. Even if they don't it, know but they the do. language. Even if they don't understand. They see a person living something in a really true visceral way and they have the reaction. And that's why you do it. You don't do it just so that you can get, be an A student and get a gold star. Yeah, that's nice. But you do it because at the end of the day, your performance will be better. And there it is. And I had a wonderful success in that Traviata. And I've been asked to sing Traviata many more times since. And I'm extremely grateful that I put in those hours of grueling, annoying dictionary studying work. It's but they're the, worth it. That really, I would say, operatically, I think, kind of exemplifies this idea of uh, discipline equals freedom. Um, <sighs> Like an yes. author, podcaster that, that whose work I follow a lot, he talks about this idea a lot. And that's just like, yeah, it's it's going to – it might suck or it might be different for you. But like when you just ingrain all that into your head and then you show up, you're not you're not going to be counting on stage. And you're not going to be like, you know, grasping at, at the other singer's, you know, word to be like, oh, God, that word sounded like the word that I start with. And it's this. You're like, yes. oh, no, I just – I under, we're having a conversation with music and I know yes. how this goes. I'm exactly. free to, to accept the impulses that I get on stage. Exactly. And then you start right. having fun and then the audience sees that and it's like... That's right. So That's who uh, who are some performers like when you were coming up that you were like, this person exemplifies that for me. I just, I love the way this person does X. Well, um, when I was a young artist um, in the program, the Big Color Tura um, at the Met doing a lot of roles was Natalie Desai. And even though I don't sing a lot of the same roles that Natalie sang, um, I, there were a few roles that 
we would both do. And one of them was Lucia. And she was doing the new production at the time. It was the new Mary Zimmerman production at the Met. Um, and I was studying it. That was like my role study. And so I went to as many rehearsals as I could go to. Um, and I, even though vocally, Desai and I didn't really have anything in common, because like I said, she was a totally different, much higher voice type. I learned so much from watching her rehearse, watching her, as you said, discipline equals freedom. Because here was a person who had truly devoted time to the study of theatrical performance, truly knew her body, knew stagecraft, understood her character, knew all the motivations, needed reasons for everything that she was doing on stage. Like it was so much detailed, detail oriented work that I heard her doing and the director talking about in rehearsal all the time, just so that when she would get on stage, by the time they were actually doing a stage run through, she could go really crazy in the mad scene and invent things. Yeah. And be 100% confident that they would work because the, the, the lineup of why she was doing A, B, C made sense in her head because she'd already calculated that part. Um, and I actually had a coaching with her once. I, um, I sang Ophelia's mad scene from Hamlet for her. And we talked about it. It's another mad scene. And, you know, she talked to me about, you know, she let me use the space and let me do whatever I wanted to. And I was just kind of making things up because at the time I thought a mad scene you can just make stuff up and it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't matter. Just do whatever. And she's like, you know, I never do that. She said, I don't just make stuff up and do whatever. She said, I know what I'm going to do every moment. At least I have a plan in my head of emotionally, emotional, you know, uh, arrival points, if you will. So even if everything in between is totally different, I know that she's going from A to B, no matter how she gets there. But that way I don't, because she said, I don't trust myself to get completely lost on stage. I, I don't want to be completely lost. I want to have a journey. I want to have a clear, specific action. And I learned a lot from her that day because that really changed my mind about a lot of things. Because I thought, oh, gee, you know, I'm so confident as an artist. You know, I could just be free on stage and, and I trust that it's all going to be great. Yes, you can get to that point. But the discipline that you have to get to arrive at that point has to be there. Otherwise, you're just making shit up and nobody understands. You know what I'm saying? Nobody gets oh, yeah. it. We'll never convince anybody. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. So, Natalie to say who else was who else was a big, uh, I guess almost like a north star or uh, sort of like compass for where you were like, okay, I, I love the direction that this person has gone in, and I want to learn from them. And they almost like people who set an example for you as an artist. Well, um, one person whose career I really ad- admire a lot is Larry Brownlee, and I know he's not a soprano, but um, Larry's he's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Larry is everything an artist should be and more. You know, Larry is has integrity, is a musician, has a beautiful voice, is a nice person, is kind, is prepared. You know, knows his languages at least, works even, and admits his he's humble. I mean, he he he's modest about his gift. He's modest about his. Uh, what is short, what he feels his shortcomings might be. He works on them constantly. He's always working on improving. Every time we talk, he's working on something new, you know? And I'm like, gee, this is an established star. Mm-hmm. And he's still improving. Like he's still working on finding places where he can get better and be better. And so I always, when I was, and also he started using social media in a way that I find very exemplary, like Stephen and I, I remember once I was standing in a line in a coffee shop and I see Larry Brownlee announced his season. He made like this beautiful like post about how he was all going to organize the dates. And I was like, I need to do that. That's good. Stephen, let's do that. And so, <laughs> so Stephen, <laughs> like, we had to come up with a way to, to do something like that. So I, I find, you know, I, I just think, 
I mean, there's lots of lots of exemplary artists, and I mean, it, to name a few would be like leaving out so many people. But um, and of course, we always admire the singers of the past. But nowadays, we have a very different set of um, circumstances, don't we? We have a whole different like package of needs, things that we have to fulfill as artists nowadays that they didn't have to deal with. 15, even 10, 15 years ago. So even the artists that we grew, all of us grew up admiring li- the living greats of the times, are li- it's another world now. Completely different journey. It's totally different. Right. So, I mean, in a way, we're kind of all making our own little marks and having to, like, figure this all out right. for the first time all by ourselves, yeah. you know. And Which is pretty, I would say, I, I like being there, you know, like, I like <laughs> to say, like, okay. It feels like we're we're kind of setting the standard, aren't we? Because, but it's good and it's bad because you know social media is amazing and and the fact that we can communicate with each other this in this direct way is amazing. But also you it guys, means that you guys so are, much more. Did you guys are in Italy and we're in DC right now? I think that's so cool. Um, so was that Stephen? We have to. I think we got to let you go. I know that you guys have to get back to Milan, um, and we have to go to work. So, right. Oh, yeah, guys, work. I can't yeah. believe how early it is yeah. over there. I'm but, so you know, sorry. Lisette will be in D.C. to sing Hamlet. That's oh, right. Cool. And when at the Washington that? Concert Opera uh, next year. It's November, uh, November 26th, November, I want to say. Yeah. I don't want to say the wrong date, but I want. let me check. Yeah. We, it's, so it's, it's, it's on our website, but we will be in D.C. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. love to go. Yeah. Yeah. We should get together. Yeah, we're, awesome. we're still here, yeah. We should definitely go get some... Uh, I guess, yeah. Oh, vegan food. We didn't get to talk about veganism. Oh, my God. That's, that's, that's going to be another hour. Yeah, another hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, November yeah. 24th. November 24th. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Great. So uh, tell the tell the good people of Music and Weights where they can find you and keep up with you. Hey, uh, thanks very much for following me, guys. And if you want to follow me on my Instagram, it is Lisette underscore Oropesa. It's not Lisette underscore Oropesa. Twitter. Hey, everybody. That's my Twitter. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much. You can find me on Instagram. My name is Lisette Oropesa. There's only one of me on Twitter. I'm Lisette underscore Oropesa. You can follow me on Facebook if you like. Thanks so much for all of that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> what's your What's your platform of choice out of those two? Twitter, Instagram? Um, they're different. I use them both. Yeah. I probably use Instagram a little more. Uh, they all bring something different to the table. Um, you know, coming on since I'm, I do a lot of social media, they all have their different strengths and weaknesses. Um, Twitter obviously is much better for more immediate communication styles. Um, something that's either funny or something that's just information, information. Um, you know, Facebook is, is better for a different demographic of people, uh, who might not use Twitter or Instagram, um, which in, in the opera world, the demographic is usually the opera demographic. Yeah. And in, for Instagram, I find that it's catered to a much younger demographic, but it right. allows us to share a little bit more behind-the-scenes stuff of, of photos and pictures. Exactly. And because of the transitive nature of Instagram, the story method can help yeah. get something more instant without having that the need of that permanence or that fear that that permanence will come around later. <laughs> the yeah, you get some spontaneity in there, some spontaneity <laughs> without like without too much worry. Yeah. Right, exactly. Anyway, uh, thanks, so thanks so guys, much, you guys. Thank you guys so much. It's been such a, such a great time. No, thanks. Awesome. Likewise. Uh, hopefully, see you guys in DC. Yeah, hopefully, see you guys soon. All right, Safe take travels. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, well, that was the best episode we ever did.